it's like when you add a new job, one of the things you have to ask yourself, even if you're a one-person company, what is the impact of the role I'm trying to hire? Like, why are we hiring this role? Why are we creating this role? What impact is it going to have on me and the company? Mm. If you can't answer that, and if you're only thinking about tasks that they're going to be doing, you, you probably shouldn't have that job. Welcome to The Lensetter Show, the show that blends the art of sales, the science of success, and the strategies of real experts in the mortgage and sales industries to help you grow your client base, increase your revenue, and get in control of your life. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley. Kick back, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe. What's going on, everybody? Preston Schmidley, your host of The Lensetter Show, and I'm here with a good friend of mine and uh, somebody that we lean on within Good Vibe Squad ourselves. Uh, as somebody that we uh, uh, we really trust as an advisor to grow our company, uh, Mr. Tony Wiseman uh, of Wiseman Strategies, uh, in my opinion, the leading certified partner of Predictive Index, which is a platform that we use. And so, um, first of all, Tony, thanks for being on on uh, the Lensetter Show today. And 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 I'd, I'd like for this discussion to orbit around, um, you know, one of the things with loan officers that they're struggling with is they get to a certain level of success and then maintaining that success becomes a bandwidth issue. And, you know, they either have to struggle through that growth. They have to revert back to what they know, what's familiar. Uh, and so um, I, I really like to, to use your expertise as somebody who has really mastered the practice of talent acquisition um, to help them navigate how to grow their business through other people so that they're not slowly killing themselves, you know, uh, um, um, you know, just working just endlessly. Right. So, um, I guess with that said, why don't, why don't you dive in first to give kind of a framework to the listeners to essentially what you do, how you, how you work with companies like us and then obviously many, many other companies to advise them and empower them to really, uh, uh grow this talent acquisition machine within the business. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate you having me on Preston. It's always, yeah, nice. see, glad to have you. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, bring down the good lookingness of your program here for an hour. So they have to deal with a fat old man talking to him. That's what they have to deal with. Um, look, I think you know, in the 27 years I've been doing this work, um, I think a great way to sum up what we do is we help companies understand how to recruit, train, manage, coach people as it relates to the uh, the objectives that they're trying to achieve inside their organization. So there's actually just a great article today in Fortune Magazine about what is a 10X employee? And that's something out of Silicon Valley, I think, that kind of generated. How do we find these employees who are 10 times the worth of a typical employee, right? And then the article talks about this idea of art skills being really important, like understanding what you're really good at from an origination standpoint. Like what part of the origination am I really good at? Is it bringing in new clients? Is it networking? Is it understanding the business? Is it understanding how how uh, my intellectual capacity can help you get to any loan at any time? Because I'm so good with mm -hmm. data, facts, numbers. So there's part of that, right? Understanding what you're really good at from a technical side. But the other side of this is understanding your natural, they call them soft skills in the, in the article, which I don't love, but they call them soft skills. This ability to, how do I, how do I communicate? How do I think through problems? How do I evaluate risks? What kind of customers or clients I'm connecting to naturally? Which ones do I not? Those are some soft skills that really elevate you and your ability to grow your business. So soft skills would almost be like um, different versions of intuition or it's almost like your internal compass of sorts, it sounds like. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I they call them soft skills. I call it your hardwiring. What is your hardwiring? What is what? Is, how are you hardwired to do certain things? So you're in your, you know, maybe in your specific case, maybe I'm a really, really good individual contributor, and I'm really hardwired. I'm a hunter. Like I can go find new business, and I'm great at it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what I'm really hardwired to do. Yet there's aspect to my job that requires me to kind of slow down and to process that stuff I've just hunted and yeah. to hang it out and to dry it, parse it up. And that part's boring to me and it sucks and I hate it. And it's holding me back to being more effective. Do you, how do you really understand that and intellectualize that and then do something proactive to kind of surround, to, to alternate perspective, right? Yeah. That hardwiring is just like, who are you? What do you care about? What do you value? What do you need? Why did I go in this business in the first place? What drives you? Those kind mm -hmm. of things. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what you know, it was actually funny. The first, <clears throat> well, it wasn't the first conversation we had, but uh, the first conversation after we started working together, you had had my predictive index uh, score. And it was actually funny because you were talking about me like you've like hung out with me for a long time, right? And uh, which, which, you know, uh, we found the accuracy of, of your reading of that impressive. And I'm sure part of that is at this point intuitive for you, just when you, you sure. could spend a minute with somebody and after doing this for a while, it's like, oh, oh okay, you're this type of person, yeah. uh, personality wise. Right. But you, you had taken my, uh, uh, you know, my kind of profile, if you will. And, and, uh, I mean, it just, I was like, dang, you're speaking truth, man. So, um, that was really profound for us. Um, and honestly in our hiring, you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the team that we have. Um, we've gotten a lot of great talent and been able to sort through the noise because on average, when we hire, you know, we use Indeed and uh, as our primary source, right? And depending on the job and, and how long we're posted for, I mean, we can get 500 to 1,200 applicants, right? And and I really strive for that because I, for me, I learned that anytime I'm trying to make a hiring decision without candidates, the best case scenario is going to be a desperate call, Right. And that, I mean, I'm sure that you could get lucky, but the likelihood of that working well for you, I've just always believed if I can do it right, it's actually probably less costly just not to do it, right? Yeah. Um, rather than get the wrong person, waste three, four, five, six months, and then end up at the same inevitable result now minus that labor budget, right? So, um, you know, I guess my thing is, let's talk for a minute about because I know predictive index is a big part of how you yes. consult businesses like us. Um, it, it's a very core component. Why don't you talk a little bit about predictive index is why it's so powerful and uh, and and how that empowers you to do what you do. Yeah, so my strategy is a team of five professionals. We're all a little bit seasoned um, in our uh, growth as as workers in this field. So, you know, we have a person who's really good at um, spent 20 plus years in leading and training and development inside of orgs. And one has wow. been really instrumental in executive coaching and recruiting for the last 15 and a uh, project manager. And one, one uh, uh, of our newest associates is a young uh, woman out of uh, Texas, uh, early 20s, who is a behavioral science, uh, actually studying the clinical side and now applying it to actually work in business. So predictive index at its core it's been around for a long time, like 1952, 1955 was the first client, but it's a response to stimuli tool. And really what we're trying to understand and trying to measure is given a certain stent set of stimuli, how does that person respond? 
And that's really what we're trying to measure. All things being equal, what does that look like? And so where most companies kind of make a mistake when it comes to recruiting is they don't understand what they need, right? And so one of the things we help clients understand is what is the job demand or what is the gap in your org or the gap in yourself that's going to help you make a more complete puzzle. Because mm. unfortunately, a lot of times what we do, if we don't have any kind of data point to rely on, we talk to people and sometimes we just like the conversation or we like what they say or we like their experience and we hire them. And that has nothing to do with how well they're going to do the job or what they actually, what you need them to do. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, you hire people for what they say they've done and then you hate them for who they are, right? Or you hate them for who they are. Yeah. And so it's like this idea of using data to say, okay, first and foremost, what do we need? And that hunter, you know, scenario I gave you, you need someone who's going to process all the work that you've done and they're going to think totally different than you. They're going to act different than you. They're going to process information different than you. And you have to be, okay, that's what I need in order for us to scale and to grow. You don't need 10 more hunters, right? Necessarily, right? You need to find out how do we become more efficient with the things that I'm bringing in in this current. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for those that are listening to this, how would you compare, cause I think there's some similarity from a high level if I was just kind of trying to explain this, but I feel in, in, in our experience, this has been way better, but I feel like it's kind of like the disc or, you know, something of that nest that, that, that. I mean, it's way more detailed because you can do the individual yeah. cognitive and behavioral, and then you can also kind of like overlay that with the team and it'll give you management guidance and all kinds. I mean, amazing tool, right? But like for, for the listeners, would you say that, that it's a personality or a profile assessment of sorts kind of like DISC or something like that? So I think there's, first of all, I think there's a lot of good tools out there. In fact, DISC is a tool my father used 30 years ago when he was building a consulting firm with athletic clubs trying to match doctors to patients and selling memberships in, inside of a time frame to get people to stay kind of a thing. That's cool. Yeah, it's actually, so So I've been familiar with some of these behavioral tools for a long time. And this is a, is a, is a good tool. There's other tools out there that are great tools. I think what differentiates us from some of these other tools is we really focus on work-related behaviors as a least response to stimuli. And what I mean by that is we do two things really, really, really well that I think other companies don't do as well, to be honest with you. The one is job defining. Like we can, we do a great job of understanding what it takes to do a job in this tool. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're, you know, a processor versus an originator, we know the mechanical differences between those mm -hmm. two kinds of jobs. But what is the job demanding of you? And can you actually make it objective? And can you write about it? Can you understand it? And once you understand kind of what that behavioral demand looks like, you start comparing and contrasting with people coming in to do that work, you can see gaps and fits really, really clearly. Right. And so our tool does that better, I think, than any tool on the market. As far as the idea of understanding people and behavior and work style preferences, I think there's a lot of tools that do that. Our company was invented specifically for business application. Sure. Some of these tools haven't been developed for that. Ours was for that reason. How can you be better as a business understanding talent management? Yeah, I, I didn't mention that, but I actually do love that. I mean, I guess to me, I I, I don't say I take it for granted, but I forget that it's a part of it because 
it's just part of our filtration, right? Like sure. somebody has to be in, uh, 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 we used to do like an eight out of 10 for both behavioral and cognitive. And, and as we started getting more and more candidates, we went, okay, let's do nine or above. Yeah. Right. And, uh, um, I mean, dude, the, the matchup of, of like, cause there's a different personality, right? Like, like you had mentioned, um, you know, I know you have exposure to me and McBilly, right? It's like, he can do steady amounts of the same thing for hours on end. I lose my shit after about 30 minutes of that. Right. Right. I feel like you and I have kind of, uh, I guess you could say, kind of separated on that. Yeah. The same way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to see how predictive index helps you kind of lean into the strengths. Because like you said, oftentimes you'll hire somebody based on their experience and you're letting the past dictate the future when really the present is what should be the leading indicator for that. And the problem is most people have no no form of measurement. And right. so it's the guess point. It makes it objective rather than being subjective. I think a good way, you know, a good way to explain this, I think for me, that that makes sense to me is, actually, this is a funny, this is a funny story. So um, I was raised by a guy, I always joke around, my dad, who I was, I'm very close to, I actually worked with him for about 20 years, but he he is uh, a mix between Mike Ditka and General Patton. So, <laughs> super mellow. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's super intense. And so I came home from my senior trip at, you know, 17 or 18, I was with some buddies and we were hanging out in California and Summer is, you know, high school's over and you're trying to think, okay, I'm just going to get this job, be ready for college, you know, whatever. So I had that on my agenda to do. I come home on a Sunday, I think it was like Sunday, and my dad walks into my room and he says, oh, by the way, I have a, I have a job for you tomorrow. And I'm like, well, you have an interview? Like, what are you talking about? He goes, no, you're starting tomorrow. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Now, I didn't say that to him because it's General Patton, right? Because I don't want to get killed. Right, so, right, right, right. I'm like, okay, you sound good. Yes, sir. Tomorrow I'm starting. And I didn't really know anything other than I was supposed to go, go to go to a, a local car. And you may have Larry H. Miller, who was the owner of the Jazz, had several car dealerships across this this country. Right. I was supposed to report to Larry H. Miller Chevrolet, go talk to this uh, accounting department, and go talk to this woman named Gail Luth, and the job was waiting for me. So I show up 7 o'clock the next morning, Gail Luth. She had to be like 6'2", cowboy hat, rhinestones, turquoise, smoked non-seltered non-filtered cigarettes in like three seconds scared the living piss out of me yeah she was super intense and she directed me to this corner and said okay you're doing data entry all day that's your job and i was like uh okay and back then it wasn't a computer screen it was just like paper and you entered warranties and if you screwed up you had to start all over all right so me being i could call myself you know you understand this works press i'm kind of a hyper person uh the detail. I'm always the bigger new things, you know, innovation, new ideas, venture out. Mm-hmm. You're asking me to sit on a desk all day long and put in data mm-hmm. all day freaking long. I want to kill myself. Like an eight hour day turned into like a 20 hour day. Like I couldn't even, I got, I would take a full hour lunch break for the first time ever because I could not stand going back to work. Like I would rather watch General Hospital in the parts department sitting on a couch than go back and do data entry. That's how much I hated my job. So if you think about that, about this idea of job demand, what was it about that job? Well, it wasn't intellectually demanding. It wasn't like hard to understand. It wasn't a knowledge skill set things. It's like, what was the job demanding of me that I didn't possess? And what the job demanded of me was patience, routine, process, accuracy, and steadiness of time. I possess none of those things. It was brutal. Like I sucked so bad at that job. It was so bad. I was brutal. 
And so I, I always tell people, if you bought a car in the early 80s from Larry H. Miller, I screwed up your warranty and you probably needed it. <laughs> I just sucked <laughs> out of my job. Uh, that's great. <laughs> but I guess funny, the funny story about that is, is three months in, I, I sheepishly go into Gale and I'm like, hey, there's a new job for a parts or, or a runner. And my job was to go all over the valley for the internet. Go to the auto auction, pick up titles, go to the bank, go to this dealer. All day long, I was running around all day long in a new car every three or four weeks they'd give me. And I would just be running all day long, set my own schedule, do my own hours, meet people. I went from almost being fired to the employee of the month and been within six months. Right. And the only thing that changed was the job demand. Mm. Like I was, and I didn't get it at the time. It didn't make sense to me, but the demand of the job was more aligned with who I was. And it was just, the down job became easier. So... You know, oftentimes, because you had said, uh, uh, you know, steadiness of time, you know, the, the kind of the things I, I can't remember, there was like four or five there that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I think oftentimes a lot of people would look at that and look at that as a negative thing, like, oh, you're, you're not good at these things, right? Um, how, I guess, how would you speak to that? Because to me, it almost feels like, I, I feel like being a professional at this point is kind of like, when you're playing a video game that you have to like build your character and you get 80 action points and you have to assign them to strength, perception, agility. Yeah, well, and it's like, yeah. so I feel like that's very much like we all only have 80 points and we all have them allocated differently. Right. And so, um, I have had a lot of conversations where people look at that kind of like pass or fail, right. It's by bi like, it's binary of, Oh, well I suck at this or they suck at this. So they suck. Right. So talk to me a little bit about how you feel about like the idea of right person, wrong role, or, you know what I mean? Like, um, and, and the different, and the ability to see somebody for their strengths, uh, uh, rather than, I guess, for their weaknesses. Right. Cause it's like, yeah. so I think this, there's a lot packed into that that I want to answer. So sure. first of all, I don't think, well, <laughs> I think I still believe this, but I've always said, I don't think people show up to work and go. Cool. I want to suck today. Right. Like I want to piss everyone off, be shitty at my job, and suck. I don't think that usually happens. There's something going on that is causing someone to pull away from that, and part of it is job fit, right? And so, you know, in this book, Good to Great, that was written in the '90s by Mr. Yeah, Jim Collins. It's a great book. Yep, great book, Jim Collins. He talks about, and he kind of coined this: getting the wrong people on the bus, getting the wrong people off the bus. But people forget the quote that they always forget is actually, he says is you have to define the seats. It's about putting the right people on the bus in the right seat. Mm. And so sometimes you have someone in the bus who's just in the wrong seat, but you have to be able to define that seat, right? What does that seat look like? What is needed in that seat? And then that person might be very talented. They're just in the wrong position on the bus. We just got to move them to a different seat. So it's not that they suck. It's just maybe they suck at the job they're doing right now. The question is why? Secondly, I like your analogy of building these characters because, you know, as you know, in a lot of these games that you play where well, you have to build these characters, you're usually not a solo person. A lot of times you're combining with other people to be, to do well. It's just the same thing in business. Mm. You don't want to combine people with all the same strengths, right? You want to, you want to be able to counter set who you, what you're good at with someone else. That makes a lot of sense. And depending on what you're trying to achieve in that game. Right. So there's the sword, the swordsman sword. needs the archer, the archer needs the swordsman. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And so if the objective is this, maybe the archer is more important than the swordsman, but if the objective changes, then the, the, the roles change. But you still need both of them. Mm. Just where do you need them and why do you need them? You have to be able to figure that out. Right, okay. So in your experience doing this, what are some of, 
Um, what are some of the lessons or takeaways that you've kind of learned apply damn near to everybody as far as things they have to do to start being able to leverage or create this, you know, talent acquisition machine business. So I think, I think the biggest, there's a, there's some pitfalls you have to avoid. Let's talk about those first. Okay. I think you have to get out of the mindset of I'm only looking for resumes for people I don't want to train. Right. So we fall into this pit trap of, okay, they have all these skill sets. This is going to be awesome. I don't have to train. Right. And a lot of times what happens is you hire people with these skill sets and then you realize they don't apply to what you need or you tell them that the way you're doing it, the way you want them to do it. And they'll say, well, that's not the way I do it. That's not the way I was trained. Right. So sometimes you have to untrain and retrain anyway. And that's a lot harder. Right. So the first thing I always tell people is when you're hiring someone, instead of asking and saying, you know, Instead of saying, oh, quit, I don't have to train them, you need to flip the question. You have to ask yourself, what am I not willing to train? Mm. And once you start figuring out what you're not willing to train, like they just have to have it because I don't have the time, the bandwidth, the ability, whatever. I'm not willing to train them. If you can start making your list that way, I think it it could resonate a little bit more with people say, okay, they have to bring this with them because I'm not training them on this. Yeah. Well, that actually kind of goes into a concept I've I've called drive-by delegation, which is essentially, you know, you hire them and go, yeah, you take, and there's like the expectation of delivery, but there's like, like you know, and if they're anything other, and it's like most people are disappointed with the outcome. Obviously, that's a disaster for, or that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. So, um, I totally agree with that. So, okay, so and I said real quick, number two, number two, real quick, yeah, yeah. when you're looking at. Don't view a resume as an end-all. Resume is just an autobiography of what they want you to know about them, right? And I'm not saying it's not important. What I, what, unfortunately, what we do with resumes sometimes is we have to look at resumes and say, okay, if they've done all these things, cool. How do we vet that, right? But I think you have to look at the resume of, okay, you may have five applicants with very similar resumes. The more powerful question is, how do they apply what they know? That's the powerful question. Okay, so if they have similar resumes, how does this person going to apply it? And the way do they apply their knowledge, skills, and abilities, does that fit to what we need in the organization? Because a loan originator is going to be different for different organizations and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. Like what you get out of that role changes depending on what is needed. So how do I apply all this information I have and does it fit with what I need? Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, now would you say that, you know, cause I know that predictive index, uh, uh, measures both behavioral and cognitive. Yeah. Would you say that the measuring what it needs is more of a behavioral need or a cognitive need? Say that again. Well, so, so you were, you were essentially saying that, um, you know, I'm 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 going to be paraphrasing here. Just we've talked through a lot, but but you uh, but you essentially said some version of of you know, like like identifying what the job needs, right? Yes. And so my my question is, when you, when you're looking at that need, when you're looking at a resume, and you're trying to figure out how do they, how do they apply this? Are you looking at that? I mean, do you feel like that's more of a behavioral conversation yes. or more of a cognitive conversation? I think it's both. Okay. So behavioral in in the context of so let's define cognitive. 
the way we define cognitive ability is how fast you get or take in new information, how fast you take it in and how fast you apply it. Like, what is that roundup like? Like, we know Preston, yours uses a higher cognitive. I still think you cheated, but yeah, it's a higher cognitive. I promise I didn't. I just, okay, I'm just teasing. No, you know what's funny is, is so, so like, McBee and I actually agree that he, I mean, we've never tested this, yeah. but I, I mean, I would bet money he has a higher IQ than I do. He's more book smart. He's, he's just, generally yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Right. But it's like, you know, I got, I think I got like one point or like, like it's supposed to be like yeah. 500 is a perfect score. I got like 495. Uh, and so <laughs> most people in our team that saw that were kind of upset and like, dude, no, that's no way. And I was like, yeah, I think it tests speed rather than like, I don't know that it's test. How fast you take in information and apply information. Right. It's relative to the job too. Right. So like, for example, if I'm like doing a job that's very repetitive and doesn't change a lot actuaries, I don't know, pick a job where it's just kind of the same thing over and over again. Cognitive isn't as impactful and as important than if you're like a B2B salesperson. Or, you know, I always use doctors as an example. A, an ER surgeon's cognitive is probably higher than a pediatrician. They're both really intelligent. They're both really smart. But the job requirements change because as you're getting new stuff as a surgeon that's instantaneous right there. Like a trauma nurse, right? Oh, yeah. You have to think on the fly. Yes. It's like, oh, you know, it's like you have to be able to take information, make decisions rapidly. And that's really what cognitive measures. The behavioral piece is the application of things like, okay, I have a, you know, you've probably met people with MBAs who aren't the brightest people in the world, right? The idea is, okay, this person has an MBA in business. Cool. They did the discipline to go through and get that piece of paper and get that degree. Awesome. Right. And so the question is, you get two Harvard MBAs. Doesn't mean they're going to work the same because what we're not understanding is how do they apply that information? So how much risk do they take in? How much uh, time do they take to make decisions? How do they communicate their ideas? How do they process information? Those kind of things are not in a resume. And you don't, you don't hire a resume, you hire a whole person. The person who actually comes to work for you every day, you need to understand that whole person, not just a part of who they are. That makes We're sense. Fill in some of those pieces with some yeah. data. Yeah. So, you know, you and I are Mavericks, right? By the predictive index. I'm not quite a maverick. Now, I'm not quite as cool as you. I don't have an airplane. I don't come with like a co-pilot. What? what are you, I thought you were a maverick. No, no, I'm a, I'm a persuader. Okay, okay. I feel like our, our... the A and B are flipped a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, you know, my thing is, I, I, you know, when we look at like McBee's, McBee's a much more centered individual, and like on mine, like I'm so far out, I'm actually covering up the descriptor. Yeah, like <laughs> words that tell you what you're even measuring. Um, and so it's like, what is some of your advice? You know, let, let's say somebody is that's listening to this is going, okay, well, I need, I need people. I need to grow. I get that. And okay. So you're saying I need somebody different than me. Okay. I get that. So a lot of these people that are listening, right? Loan originators, they, they at best have small teams and, and most of them are going to be, you know, individuals trying to navigate all of this themselves wearing a ton of hats. So how do you take somebody that's, and, and if they're an originator, they're probably more like you or me than, you know, that process or person persona that you talked about. So how do you, what would you recommend for them as far as, okay, this is, let's say they find the person that compliments them very well, but it's also a very different style of just being, right? Like McBilly lives very differently than me. And we've had kind of to dance, to learn 
how he is and how I am. I'm very independent. He's very interdependent, right? There's like a, I mean, we're like opposites, right? Sure. And so I feel like we've done a good job, but we've almost treated this like couples therapy over the years where it's like, we want to make sure this works. So we, we hire advisors to help us navigate this. Um, but for somebody that may not have that reflection, how would you empower somebody to, I guess, empower somebody they bring on with a very different behavioral map? But, so I've been doing this for a long time. I don't, and even I will meet some, some people. So let's just back up a little bit. Okay. So the, what we're trying to measure is we're trying to measure drives. What drives you? What are your drivers? Like, what do you drive? And so then from there, we say, okay, if this drives you, for example, yours would be like, one of your drives would be, you have a drive to exert yourself on people at events. That's one of your highest drives, right? <clears throat> so what does that mean? Well, that means that you need autonomy, right? And you need the ability to make your own decisions. And you need to be able to venture out. And you need to be able to think vision. And you need to think long-term. And you need to be able to pivot. I hate that business word, but I'm going to use it anyway. because Sure. Yeah. Right. And so there's, there's your drive. Therefore, this is what you need, right? From relationships and work. And so the behaviors you then see are maybe uh, eager to jump in, uh, you know, assertive, um, you know, looks to solve problems, um, you know, those kinds of things. So the problem is if we're only going based off of the behaviors, because that's usually what we see as people, when we interview people, when we talk to people, when we work with people, we don't get to understand their drives and needs. We don't understand those things. We're going off of what we observe the observable behavior. And if we're only making judgments off of observable behavior, we're going to be wrong. And I've been doing this for a long time, and I've been wrong. You think you observe a behavior, and you think you know what it is, and it's actually not what you think it is. Because mm. we're filtering it through our own experiences and through our own PIs and through our own stuff. So I don't know how you ever figure out, to be honest with you, a person is a good fit or not, unless you have some kind of objective data like predictive index. And the first thing you have to figure out is who are you? Mm. What what are your drivers? What are you really good at? And sometimes what we're really good at is also our biggest gap. I think Preston, that's one of the things for you. I mean, you're such a visionary guy and outside the box thinker and 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 all those things. That's awesome. And I we talked about this first time talk to you. Talk to you. Mm. That's good to know. But sometimes what happens is you pivot too quickly. Mm. Right? Because you have so many good ideas, you want to incorporate all of them and you just can't do that so how do i how do i and that's where mcbilly comes in right because he can help organize some of those things and kind of look at those things and say okay great revenue ideas what's going to be most profitable and how do we sustain it how do we hold people accountable to it so that's where that that complementary skill set kind of comes in right Right. so i don't think you do that with some kind of objective tool you have to have that objective tool because you have to have that emotional intelligence that self-awareness to really sink into the data and know how it applies to you and how you're trying to grow your business. That makes sense. So, I mean, I think it's a good time. You know, I, I have more questions for you, but um, why don't you take a second to kind of just plug Predictive Index? Uh, like, talk a little bit about what it is. I mean, we I, I feel like we've already touched on it, right? But, like, if there's anything that you feel we've missed and, and, and or how it should be applied to a business or used... Um, why don't we just take this moment since we're here? I'd imagine that some people that are listening are going, okay, well, it sounds great. And okay, so I need objective data. What next? How, what does that look like? Right. So, I mean, and you can find another tools. Obviously I'm very partial to predictive index. I think it's an amazing tool. I think it's good for all the things we talked about. So 
you can go to our website if you wanted to, wisemanstrategies.com and check out our website, see what it looks like. And Lindsay and our team will get back to you if you, you want to take a free assessment. There's a link on there. You can take a free assessment. So go ahead and take it for yourself, get the data, and then we'll, we'll get back to you and kind of walk through the assessment. No charge. We'll just... That's awesome. Yeah, the, the, I mean, if nothing else, everybody should get the assessment like that. It's so like putting definition on something that's otherwise pretty like uh, just hard to define is really nice. It's yeah, it's like vague. Yeah. And Mark Twain said something. I, I love this quote. I'm going to screw it up. He said something. It's not what we know for sure that gets us in trouble. Uh, no, it's not, it's, it's not what we think we know that gets in trouble. It's what we think we know for sure that gets us in trouble. Mm. Right? It's this idea of, okay, it's not what we don't know that gets us in trouble. It's what we think we know that's true that just isn't. Mm. And that's the self-awareness piece, really. It's this idea of like, this is what I think we I know is true, but it just isn't true. Right. It's not what we don't know. Because we'll call that makes a lot of that. sense. Yeah. So so that's okay. why PI is so valuable. You need to know you have to have because some people really think, oh, this is just who I am and I'm like this. And then they take the data and they go, This isn't me. And then everyone around them goes, uh, uh yeah, it is. Well, the thing that I love about, and I won't spoil it because I feel like it's part of the magic, but the thing I loved about Predictive Index is how insanely accurate it was based on two questions. Yes. That to me was like, I remember when I, I, I got done submitting this, the answer to the second question, I was like, you're done. I was like, what? <laughs> how could you possibly? What are you talking about? Point. Some people think these things are like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It's six and a half minutes, really. And the right. reason why, Preston, is it's a response to stimulus tool. So all we're doing is asking you one question and then give you a bunch of stimuli. And then there, there, there's a mathematical weight to those words that, that you choose. For that. So I don't want to give it away either, but it's a, it's a great, simple, yeah. fast, subjective way to get good data. Well, so, so what I'd like to do is kind of um, pivot, if you will. And uh, <laughs> I want to do, can we do a show where we just make fun of business words? Sure. I think that's I, good. I, I just literally want to mock them all because I just like, I have a hard stop. Like, what does a hard stop mean? Why can't we just say... My meeting has to end at two. Why, why hard stop? What's a soft stop? Is there a median stop? Like yeah, you yeah. roll through the stop sign? And, I mean, how does this work? That's great. Um, so um, I, I, I want to kind of walk through our hiring process because I think there's things that I, I would be curious about your opinions on what we're doing. Um, a, because obviously I want to improve, but also I think there's things we are doing right. I think there's things we could be doing better. And either way, whether it's validation from you or a correction from you, I think there's something that the audience could take from this. So I'm going to walk through our process and then you can kind of tell me what you like, what you don't, what you would change if you were me. Okay. So we essentially, we would do is I would lose the hat. No, just Tony. Totally <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tony. was good in that hat, actually. I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, it's funny. Um, I actually get a lot of hate in the ads uh, that we run about the beanie and people, Weird. People have, you know, everybody wants to have judgments, I guess. Um, you know, people will say, I, I would never trust somebody that wears a jacket and a beanie together. I'm like, that's a really weird boundary to set for yourself. I, all right. I mean, that's a self-limiting belief, but then, I mean, specific, like that's a very specific thing you don't like. That's kind of weird. Yeah. It's like a beanie hate crime. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, it's just, it is weird. The city of that comment, which I think is weird. I know. I know. So, and the code, that's what, that's what throws me. If you, I, mean, I know. Pretty okay, but. So, so, okay. So we're running, uh, we create posts on Indeed. Um, and oftentimes we're, they're not even sponsored, right? So what we used to, to do 
was we would try to get like fun with the language to be like, you know, cause we're good vibe squad, right? It's like, eh. but then we realized it's actually better if we're just clear, right? This is what you're doing. Okay. So we started doing that. And so we run these posts, uh, uh, on indeed. Um, and then that's literally the only platform that we do. And we get hundreds of candidates. And then we, what we do from there is talk uh, right there for a second and talk about postings. Do you mind? Let's do it. Let's do that. Um, so Dina shows you have 14 seconds on a posting to get someone interested. So you're right. The fun and cute things are like a lot of tech companies want to do this, but actually it, a couple mistakes that people make. They talk about their company first. It's not about the company. It's about the person. You, we want the person to visualize them doing the work. So any, any verbiage that you can put in there, that you, if you know who you're attracting, like what kinds of people you need, behaviorally and skill-based, you got 14 seconds to get them to keep reading. Mm. That's what you're trying to do. Oh, yeah. And what are those first three or four sentences? And that's not a lot. I mean, you think about 14 seconds, just start reading. Yeah. You're maybe three or With four. With a paragraph seconds. at best. Yeah. So maybe you're three or four sentences, and if people don't like it, they're done. They're, they're done. Okay. That's great. I, I That's that's powerful. And and I'll, I'll take note of that. I actually, it makes me want to kind of have my copywriter go through and make sure that our posts are really relevant for the personality in which we're looking for. Um, that's a, a good point. So, so, okay. So we're putting these posts on Indeed. And then what happens is people apply. And then um, our executive assistant goes through and invites. No, no, no. At the end of our application, there's the, uh, uh, essentially, we give them the ability to do, take the behavioral assessment. If they take the behavioral assessment, we reach out to them and we give them the cognitive assessment. If they do both of them, well, let me rephrase that. If they do the behavioral and it's an, like a nine or above, we give them the cognitive, right? And then from there, if the cognitive is a nine or above, and this is out of 10 for everybody listening, right? It's essentially 10 is ideal fit. The, the job and the person are like one and the same and you found a unicorn. Uh, a nine is like you're going to be pretty damn happy. And then obviously a one is I, I should have never done this in the first place, right? So just to give the uh, idea. Seat. Yeah. Yeah. Seat, yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah, yeah. The boss, they're just in the wrong seat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, so we're doing that. And then when we get somebody that does a, uh, a, a an average of nine or above bef between the two, behavioral and cognitive, um, then our executive assistant reaches out to schedule a first interview. Uh, and then that's usually with a member of leadership team. And then if that goes well, they invite them back for a second interview with another member of the leadership team. Um, and then essentially the we view all candidates have made it all the way through the end and and try to deduce you know and, and i actually feel the last few times we've been really lucky we've had more people we wanted to hire than we had jobs for right which is a much better place to be in than the i've been on both ends of the spectrum and my god it feels so much better you know because like we had we, there's actually there was one time where we had one job and two like 10 out of 10 candidates we literally did create another job because uh, uh, within that team because we were like, you want to hire talent, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to let them go, you know. Could be years before they're back on the market, you know. Yeah. So, so that's essentially the hiring process, and then and then after that, we obviously make an offer. But they're aware during uh, during the first interviews when we talk, we actually have a conversation around the money as well as um, you know what the expectations and the job, and we try to sort fit. Um, and we also try to get a gauge for just culture, right? Because I, I mean, I've I've also interviewed people where on paper they were a nine or a ten, and then we talked, and I was like, oh, okay, like, 
you know, the behavioral and the cognitive didn't talk for culture fit necessarily, right? I feel like that's the one you got to kind of self-source. Uh, yeah, you have I, to, I'd like to hear your thought on that. No, so culture's funny. <clears throat> it's about culture, but then when you... So we have clients ranging from, you know, clients like you guys are growing and scaling. I think when we started working with you guys, you're maybe 30 or 40 employees. Now um, Probably 30. Yeah. Maybe 30. Like 20, 25 or 30. So clients like that, we, we, like you were growing and scaling. And then we have clients that have been in business for a long time who have 10,000, 15,000 employees, right? And wow. so they use this for different types of things. And every one of them talk about cultures kind of the last 10 years, right? And some people think, you know, cultures, ping pong tables and unlimited PTO and, you know, their mission or value statement or whatever. I think you have to define culture as... There's, there's macro cultures and micro cultures. The macro culture is what you believe as a company and what you hone in on. And it's something you have to be very definitive about. It can't be just like subjective, right? Like, what does that mean? I think PI is a part of that. Knowing what, what you value in culture is directly tied to who you are and what drives you. Mm. So the micro cultures, that's where that comes in. So you can have a macro culture and a big org. This is what we care about. This is who we are, whatever. I, I, I think those should be called hard culture and soft culture. Yeah, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, go hard and soft. I mean, I'm, I'm macro, micro. You can do whatever you want. I think we should start some new business terms. I think we can call it, we can do a deeper dive on the the, the culture and then pivot on the hard stop at three. I mean, we could go. <laughs> you you fit those all in there really, Master. Right, that's great. You like that? Yeah. Um, I throw up a lot during the day on these calls and people start throwing business terms at me. It makes me want to puke. But, um, this this idea then, who I am as a leader, let's say I'm over a division, who I am and what I care about and what I value is going to determine which parts of the culture I'm going to pick on and go, this is what's valuable. Other ones, we're going to say, yeah, it's not as valuable. So right. behavior has a lot to do with that, actually, in a lot of ways. Okay, so people, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 keep, keep going. I was going to say, there's going to be some people who are going to naturally grasp on your culture just because it's innate to who they are. There's going to be other people who are going to say, okay, this job that we're asking them to do is a little bit different than what our culture is, but we need, we need different. Mm. Like, let's say our culture, we, one of our cultural values is be curious. Mm -hmm. That's something we care about, but we want a job or we don't want curious. We want you to do it the same way every freaking time about even don't ask, don't ask why just do it. Like you have a misalignment. Yeah. It's like. And so, you know, it's okay that they're curious. The question is, will they do that job exactly how it's assigned and follow the process every time without exception? Mm. Be curious in that space. Do you know what I'm saying? So we have no, that makes iterative. That makes sense. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit to that person who knows they need to hire. Right? They got nothing. They got nothing. They they don't they 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 haven't even created a post yet. Dozens. They've been to their friends. They've been through their yeah. <clears throat> well, and everything else is work, right? And I'm not saying that like they don't want to do the work, but it's it's a, it's a it's unfamiliar territory, right? And what I found in in business growth is that whole um, people prefer a familiar hell to an unfamiliar heaven really reigns true. They'd rather stay in, in their capped, you know, business than they would experience the discomfort of growth. Yeah, yeah. And so. For somebody that that's at that point, but they go, you know what? No, I do want to grow. Um, and they got nothing. What would you recommend as some starting points for them to be able to, you know, source and identify great talent 
and to bring them in? Yes, yeah, so the first thing, and this is going to sound maybe ethereal or whatever, but I think the first thing you have to be is very honest with yourself and ask the question, why do I want to grow? Right? And they, there's a lot of different answers to that question. And if you can answer that question honestly, it's going to help you understand who you need to recruit. Because mm. some people just want to grow for growth's sake. But I, I mean, I, any client I onboard, I always ask this question, what is what is the goal? Like, what are you trying to achieve? Uh, you know, I, I signed on a client not too long ago who said, you know, I want to get to 100 million sales. I'm like, cool. Why that number? Tell me more about that. And the more we talked about them, the more unpack it, the more we understand it. Now we can start giving them recruiting advice. Okay, if that's true, and here's why you're trying to do this, let's start thinking about who you need to recruit then and knew who you need to find to hit that goal. That makes Sometimes sense. goals are just arbitrary. Like we just think, oh, that would be cool. Or, you know, it'd be really cool to go tell my family I'm making $3 million this year. I mean, I don't care what the reason is, but let's be honest about what that reason is. Sure. No, that definitely that's dictates how you get there. Yeah. And then let's figure out, okay, and if that's what it is, let's create a roadmap to find the types of people that can help you get to what you need. Right. The other question you have to ask is, what am I really good at? What am I not good at? <clears throat> what do I like doing? What do I, what do I don't like doing? Like, what is it? So if you think about like someone, if you just do something simple, like, so I ran, <laughs> my, my team is five. For a long time, it was two of us or three of us. Uh, usually it was two and we just wanted to keep it small on purpose. That was our goal. We didn't want to get bigger than, than, than that. We just wanted to keep it this small, little intimate kind of niche based business. And we've grown since then for a couple of different reasons. But the idea then is, okay, let's look at this and say, if I can answer the why, and then I can get to the, what needs to happen because of the why, and then you can start recruiting and filling your talent around that it makes more sense about who you're trying to develop. But you have to understand who you are. Right. Like, what am I good at? What do I not like doing? Right. And then, then, and then back to them that way. Like, then it's kind of working backwards. Have you ever, have you ever read any books uh, uh, from Dan Sullivan or ben, Benjamin Hardy? Uh, not Benjamin Hardy, no, but Dan Sullivan, yes. Um, so they co-authored a book, um, well, they co-authored a series of books, um, uh, who not how gap in the gain. Um, <clears throat> and we actually got to meet M McBilly and I went to uh, one of the masterminds we're in. we had a, a, a week in Mexico last week, actually with Mexico. And we spent oh, cool. um, a pretty intimate like hour two or, or two somewhere between an hour and two, uh, with Benjamin Hardy. And he was going over a lot of the concepts in the 10 X is easier than two X, which is it releases like next month. And, and they both collaborated on it. And, um, you know, it really played in, and there were some concepts that kind of link. There's definitely a connection between like that 10x book, Who Not How, and Gap in the Game. But it was essentially the concept of if you want to go to 10x, you have to be willing to find out instead of how do you do this, who will do this for you? And you need to, you know, that it's that your world will change, but you can either get rid of things, some things you can't get rid of. And if you can't get rid of them, you have to find the right person to handle them so that you can actually grow. Um, and and as he essentially talks about the inverse of, and the reason 10X is easier than 2X is 2X requires you, or, or for 2X, you can keep about 80% of what you're doing right now. 
uh, change about 20% of it and get some linear growth, right? And on TEDx, it's like you have to abandon or be willing to abandon about 80% of what you do, what you know, and really like hone in on and master the 20% that you're great at and magnify that and, and just delegate everything else or abandon it, right? And so the uh, the the example that um, he gave was actually his, uh, Ben's son, Caleb. They, they live in Orlando and uh, they were doing a tennis practice and and his coach had asked him at tennis practice, hey, hey Caleb, you ever thought about going pro, right? And he's like, no, not really, right? Yeah, this is a teen. So, you know, these are kind of one of those like parental conversations that you have with your kid. And um, and so that was kind of it. That on the ride home, Ben asked Caleb again. He goes, hey, did uh, did you think, have you thought anything more about what your coach said? And he was like, what about going pro? And he goes, no. And he goes, I know you want to go to college and get a scholarship for that. Um, but I think you should consider that. And so they talked more about it. And eventually Caleb was like, He's like, yeah, actually, it would be cool to be a pro, right? And what Ben talked to is he goes, you know, in Orlando, there's thousands of, of coaches that are plenty well qualified to help my son get into college with a scholarship. That's not, honestly, that big of a difference from what we're doing now. He's like, but the question starts to change when we go, okay, well, if the destination is not college, it's pro, there probably is less than five coaches around us that can actually help him develop to that point. And that's assuming he only needs one coach to do that. We may have to have other coaches, Right. And so it's this idea that there are much fewer paths to 10x something. Therefore, there's more clarity. It's not easy, right? The work is not easy. But if you if you try to 10x something instead of 2xing it, because 2x can be achieved with linear growth over time, right? Incremental changes, small tweaks. Um, yeah, yeah. But that 10x is like you have to abandon conventional wisdom and get really creative and specific about what you will do and are you know what you're willing and able to do to grow and it it also is a filter for like if you're doing bullshit right now you it you know you can hide that at 2x because like well i can keep doing this and juggle you can't do none of that bullshit to get to 10x right so it really runs this filter but the thing that i thought that was i mean i thought a lot of it was profound but the idea of the 80 percent most likely isn't all going away but if you don't have the people, the right people in the right spaces to be able to put that that labor, to be able to have, and and you know one of the things I've learned on this journey is there's a bunch of stuff that I used to be like, who would want to do that? And it's like I've actually just learned, oh, there's some everything I hate. There's somebody out there that just geeks out on it. You know, now to me that's weird, but that's why they're not me, right? And I just learned that's to kind of embrace, right. Yeah, and so I, you know, I think that that understanding is part of why McBee and I have have been able to, you know, thrive in in each other's uh, uh, presence in this partnership. And part, you know, I think your analogy of the college and pro thought process is it's a good analogy. Uh, I guess it was this this gentleman who written this book, which I, which I haven't read, but this idea I think is comes back to this point of, by the way, it's okay to be a college tennis player, right? That's okay. Like if you want to just be a, a college tennis or even a high school tennis player. You just have to be honest with what you are, right. what you need, and the work you're willing to put in. And then who are the people I need to surround myself to get me get there? Like, we don't all need to be pro tennis players, right? Sure. Like this idea of like, what does that look like? And then how do you surround yourself with the right people to get where you want to go? Mm -hmm. But you have to look inward, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, that, it's that, you know, it's the quote um, by uh, 
Oh, I just forgot his name. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, Victor Frankl. Michael Frankel, yes. He talks about response to stimuli, right? That it's actually the space between response to stimuli that gives our growth and freedom. And from a PI perspective, what that means is, here's my natural drivers. Something happens, here's how I want to respond to it. And Frankel talks about, well, it's not just about responding to stimuli. It's the space between. It's the time between the stimulus and the response where you get to choose what you want to do and it's usually contrary to the response that you want to let go that really gives you your growth and freedom. Mm. So like, do you have the ability as a business owner, as you're starting a business, understanding this just happened, here's I'm going to respond. I need to hire someone who sees the same stimulus but responds differently. Mm. And I have to let them do that. I have, to, I have to step out of that. And because of the way I'm responding to it is not growing the business like I need it to, I need to find someone who looks at the stimuli differently and responds differently and be okay with that. Mm. That's powerful. Wow. It's hard to do. Yeah. No, that's, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's something to chew on though. I mean, because I, I, I think that is a, that requires a very high level of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Or at least a need, an understanding that you need to have self-awareness and figure that out real quick, you know? Yeah. And by the way, it's going to drive <clears throat> batshit crazy. Because mm-hmm. there's something's going to happen. I mean, it happens in my own team. And I do this for a living. Something's going to happen. A stimulus is going to happen. And I'm going to go, this is how we respond to it. Yet someone else on my team is going to look at that and respond to it a totally different way. It's probably beneficial. It's a better way. And that's what I hired them to do. But it's yeah. actually crazy. Yeah. No, that makes sense, man. That makes sense. Um, that's great. Well, so I got one more question for you yeah. before we close out here, Tony. Um, what do you feel is, um, a book or a piece of content that you've consumed in recent years that you feel should be required reading for, uh, uh, you know, people that would listen to this podcast? It's funny because we just actually were talking about this as a team, I think two weeks ago, throwing out all these different books that you should read and all these different things, because one of the things we help as an anesthetic product, so we do a lot of what I call functional management training. Uh, we have a lot of these tier two and tier three leaders who are given leadership responsibilities and they're individual contributors. So they don't know how to understand time management as it relates to a group of people. They don't understand situational leadership. They don't understand how to do one-on-one feedback and course correct and conflict resolution. They just don't, because no one's taught them. So we're having this conversation, like what books should be companions. And so it's funny that you bring this up. So a book that I have loved forever, I think we talked about earlier today, was Good to Great. I just love mm-hmm. that book. Um, I think I like it because I have a hard time with leadership books that are very ethereal Yeah, and don't give you any information. It's just kind of like ideas or suggestions or, you know, I mean, like servant leadership, I, I like want to throw up every time I hear that. Not because the book's not back and it's a great book, actually. It's just that we take it and we misconstrue it and we think about sure. it in a way. And like The Speed of Trust is another one that I think is a, the first, it's a really good book. Was that Kobe? Yeah. We just we just bastardize it. You know what I mean? We just make it almost repugnant for me. It's like it's almost a gag reflex. But it's but it's like I so I like anything that makes you think that adds some kind of process or data or results to it. I think good to great's a good one for that. I think especially for someone who's starting to build a business because it really goes to this idea of how do you take something that is good, right, a good company, and how do you elevate it to make it great, and what does the process look like? Right. I kind of like that. Um, 
this is weird. It's not really leadership or business books, but I do like reading a lot of Malcolm Godwell because it makes you think about things that are different, the different, the different way of looking at things, mm. right? The tipping point or, you know, multiply those kind of books where it's like, okay, what does that mean to me as I'm trying to grow my business and think differently than I think, right? Uh, oh gosh, there's a lot of books out there. there. A book that's a really easy read that kind of talks about what this 2X and 10X thing that you're talking about. I think it's called All Good CEOs Are Lazy. Really? I'm sorry, yeah. Yes, I think it's All Good CEOs Are Lazy, something like that. And basically it talks about the concept of what you're talking about. Once you get to a certain part of a CEO, your job isn't to be in control of everything. Your job is to be a leader of leaders yeah. and find the right people and give, give them the right tools to be successful. If you're the CEO and you're dabbling in operations and finance and in sales and manufacturing and production, and you're deep in there, you're, you're probably not a very good CEO. I, I feel like as I've ascended in, in in developed myself, you know, through a company that's grown and grown and grown, and and uh, um, the the way that you lead a large organization versus a small one um, just seems to be so different, and and the way, like, I I feel like the necessity as your organization grows the necessity for the ceo to make less but higher quality decisions becomes massively more important right yeah i think there's obviously those strategic decisions but you have to surround yourself with people who are better than you or mm -hmm. smarter than you who think different than you which is really hard mm -hmm. right you want you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room as the ceo because that's gonna be problematic because you're gonna be solving all the problems right you want to find really really talented people who can do their area of expertise really, really well and are collaborators and team players. You don't want to get, this is mine, right? I own this. Um, the other thing I think as a CEO or a leader, like you guys are getting to that point. I think once you get around 100 employees, it gets really kind of hard, a lot harder to touch and understand exactly what's going on. So you really need- I already to feel that. Yeah. So like, for example, when you start out, your organization was flat. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, what does that mean? Well- Again, organizations are a living, breathing thing. There's, you knew kind of what everything was going on. You had your fingers in a lot of different pies. You were influential on different parts of the of the business, and um, so typically in flat organizations, things happen quickly. There's a lot of idea generation. There's a lot of growth. There's a lot of innovation. As you start to layer people, whether it goes to more matrix style or more of a hierarchical, and it starts to get a little more segmented and we start layering management in, then the organizational starts to change. It's more command. You make decisions based off of maybe siloed thought processes sometimes than it used to be. Uh, even in matrix style, it's what's my job and start and begin based on these new jobs. And so you see job creep happening and title debt and all these things start happening as you start to grow. So you have to be very conscientious and intentional about why you want to grow and how you want to grow. So like when you add a new job, one of the things you have to ask yourself, even if you're a one-person company, what is the impact of the role I'm trying to hire? Like, why are we hiring this role? Why are we creating this role? What impact is it going to have on me and the company? Mm. If you can't answer that, and if you're only thinking about tasks that they're going to be doing, you, you probably shouldn't have that job. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that's huge. Um, so Tony, um, for those that want to reach out or even just take you up on that free assessment, where do they need to go? So uh, wisemanstrategies.com is okay. the best place. If you want, I would say don't email me because 
uh, I'll, I'll probably off doing a thousand different things. I would say email Lindsay, Lindsay at wisemanstrategies.com. And I can send this to you too, Preston. Yeah, send it to me. I'll put it in the description of, of, of this uh, uh, episode. Um, I think that'd be wonderful. And, and if nothing else, if you're watching this, I can tell you right now, um, uh, Predictive Index and working with Tony and his team has made a profa- uh, profound impact on Good Vibe Squad. Um, I, uh, I'm i reluctant to say this, but they could charge more and we'd pay it. Don't tell anybody else I said that, Tony. <laughs> Listen, I, I said this to you when, I, when you signed on. Look, this fee is really small. Yeah. Because um, our idea is we want to grow with you. Right, so as you grow, we grow. I, I don't. We're we're not into pillaging, and ha- we don't charge all upfront free fees. What we want to do is have this thought of growing with you, and as you grow, we'll we'll grow with you. Yeah, and you know, Space Storage is a good example of that. I think when I first started working with them twenty plus years ago, there was three hundred employees. Now they're you know ginormous, and they use this for a portion of what they do inside of their organization still. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, it becomes very. Um... It becomes very, uh, like requirements not the right word, but it becomes so effective that it's like the I can't imagine the absence, you know. So that's yeah. kind of a it's a good place to be as a, as a service. Yeah. So um, awesome. Well, um, I will put that in. Uh, I'll put the email and the uh, URL in the description, both on the video and uh, on the podcast. So um, if you guys want more information from Tony and his team, I would strongly recommend it. I would definitely recommend at the least. Take that assessment so you can have a starting point of understanding yourself better uh, and, and increasing your self-awareness. And that will allow you to, um, you know, as you're looking at people and jobs, um, you know, you'll be able to make more strategic decisions. And because you know yourself, you'll know how you'll work with somebody else better. So um, I think it's a phenomenal starting point. So, Tony, thank you. Someone from my team will reach out to you, probably Craig or me or someone. Okay, cool. Yeah. There you go. I love it. Well, Tony, thank you for uh, joining us on the Lens Setter Show today. I appreciate you, my man. And uh, aside from the uh, from the podcast, thanks for everything you do for us. We appreciate you. No, we like working with guys like you, so appreciate it too. Awesome, bro. Take care, guys. Thanks.